Hello, everybody. Welcome to Reproducibility, the podcast by ECRs for ECRs. I'm going to work on that a little bit. Um, I am Sam Parsons here in Oxford. I'm joined by Amy Auburn over in Cambridge. I thought that was very good, Sam. I feel Thank like you. we should say that every time. I liked it. It sounded very professional. You haven't been introduced yet, Sophia. Oh, sorry, I don't yeah, exist. Quite. Um, and that that was Sophia Cuvel uh, over in Berlin. That was actually my last name. Th- is that the first time I've said it right? Um, am I? I think you got it right. Fucking yes! <laughs> <laughs> and today we are joined by a very special guest, um, Flavio Azevedo, which I think I might have got right, and he'll shout at me if not in private discussions. Uh, he is a senior researcher at uh, Jena, Jena University in Germany. Uh, he was awarded a Fulbright scholarship uh, to investigate psychological underpinnings of populism and conservatism in the US, and more recently was named one of the 100 most influential early career Portuguese uh, via the Global Shapers Initiative and the World Economic Forum. Uh, hi, Flavio. How you doing? Hi, how's how? Very good. How's everyone? Good. Better now that um, you're here. <laughs> all right. Good crowd. Amy's going to try and creep you out throughout the recording. That's that's the new the new thing. She couldn't if she, even if she tried. Okay. <laughs> Deal. Uh, so, uh, so we know why we want you on uh, to talk to us, Flavio. You are yet another one of the awesome early career people that everybody should know about. Um, and of course, we want to reach everybody. Um, so maybe could, could you give us uh, like a summary or a picture of kind of what your, your research is, what your day-to-day is, um, so that everybody else can get an idea of who you are? All right. So thanks for the kind words. That's very nice. And thanks for inviting me. It's also super nice. Um, It's super good to be part of this um, collaborative community of ECRs where we stand for each other. And I think what you guys are doing is super great and a necessary initiative. With that being said, um, and um, I'll I'll talk a little bit about my work and if um, I take too long, please let me know. Um, so I'm a research associate in uh, the communication department at Jena University. It's a, it's, Jena is a town in the east of Germany. It's a really great place and it's a great environment. There's um, the Max Planck Institute around. Uh, we get to hang out. It's super great. Um, and I hope to develop here as um hope to develop my career here. It's a long contract. I was very lucky in that sense. And um, yeah, I'm very happy and I look forward to the future. So when it comes to what I do, I have um, a, a research line in political psychology, namely the political, uh, the, the psychological origins of political behavior. So substantially, as Sam said, I, I look at the psychology of populism, neoliberalism, conservatism, libertarianism, and I have papers on this, um, mainly looking at, for example, right-wing authoritarianism, social dominance orientation, system justification, how these uh, constructs relate to one another in defining people's um, political proclivities in a way, how they vote, uh, what makes them um, um, to endorse an ideology or to participate in a protest, for example. Um, 
I, uh, so I have some pubs uh, published on this and um, I am happy to link them. Um, I also uh, like methodology and um, I've been developing this, um, um, what I called uh, PBBS. It's a funny name, but it's a, a psychology of political behavior studies, which is a series of now at 11 and soon to be 14th, having about 20,000 cases, mostly in the US, but now are starting in Brazil and Germany as well. They are full length interviews, so they're surveys, and they aim to, um, they, they did survey about 50 political psychological constructs. So literally going full blown on, on the politics of uh, the psychology of politics in a way. So the, there's two goals. One is to promote development of cumulative political psychology. So trying to get a sense of um, uh, across time, because we started in 2016, then there was uh, the recontext in 2018, then the recontext, now there's 2020. Um, and uh, it's about 20,000 cases. And uh, uh, basically it's the idea of uh, trying to uh, establish some cumulative sense. So using the same materials, using the same instruments, using the same format and methodology to try to think of do findings reproduce really across time, across um, um, cross sections um, and, and longitudinally. And uh, the second thing is um, about effect sizes benchmarking. If you think about like whenever you're pre-registering or have a register report, you have to inform what's the effect size that you're looking for. And uh, we hope that these surveys all together, pull together, will be able to give you an average effect size, for example, on the effect of political participation, right-wing authoritarianism, if that's what you're interested on. Um, so um, the, the other part of this, so the second goal is to help incentivize cross-field collaborations because um, uh, political psychology is this field in the middle of uh, political science and social psych. And at the same time, um, it borrows from both but it, it sometimes it, it it doesn't take this the better methodologies from 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 either one of the sciences, and I think that um, there are ways in which we can prioritize um, doing better research. In a way, have you have you guys heard of the toothbrush paradigm by Michelle? Uh, no. Uh, it's it, it's fun. Uh, um, it's um, so. It's the idea that uh, researchers have a tendency to think of other people's theories and uh, instruments as a toothbrush. Um, it would be disgusting to use ooh, each other's or somebody else's theory. Does that make sense? Yeah, I've heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a really, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good metaphor because um, normally, at least, at least in my field, most people tend to use their own theories to explain psychological phenomena. And that's super fine and great. Um, but sometimes I feel that in the world of, you know, reproducibility crisis or, or, or credibility revolution, perhaps we could start comparing these theories, start comparing um, the relationships or the interrelationships between uh, known psychological constructs, things that there are, I don't know, a hundred papers for. So um, the concepts that I mentioned, right-wing authoritarianism, social dominance orientation. Have you, have you guys heard of those uh, constructs? Uh, 
I have like a bit, I guess. Yeah. Like I know that social dominance orientation is like if you like having like groups of different power and like that relates to liking kind of more conservative things. Mm. Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yes, for sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the reasons why uh, we invited invited Flavio to be on the podcast uh, is to do with a awesome uh, project that he's leading uh, related to uh, open and reproducible teaching. Um, so Flavio, can you give us the the fort introduction? The elevator pitch. The elevator pitch. All right. So invite us to the fort. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that that that's a super good segue. Um, and I thought I thought we were going more and more cheesy with each uh, of us. <laughs> oh, I wasn't allowed to go cheesy. I wanted the people involved to be called knights, and they wouldn't let me. Oh my god! Yes, what? Um, sorry, sorry I've, I've already started bashing on Flavio before he's even described the project that we're talking about. Um, <laughs> First question, Flavio, why are they not called knights? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> All right. So, fort is probably the thing that I'm pro- most proud of. It's, um, you know, that project that makes you want to wake up full of energy the next day. So it's it's a really great project and with a very awesome group. And um, it's an international collaboration. Um, of scholars trying to tackle the question, um, what are the best conceivable educational practices in higher education and how to achieve it? Obviously, in light of open, uh, of open science and uh, credibility revolution. So if you think about, and I think this should be a, a conversation, our current norms for teaching and mentoring of, in, in higher education are really rooted in what I think are obsolete practices. So we thought a lot about how to improve our science and make it open, more transparent. Um, integrity, there's a whole field within um, integrity research. Um, but we haven't thought of the downstream consequences of that for teaching and uh, how to educate uh, um, consumers of scientists of science and um future scientists. So in, in that sense, uh, it, board is sort of made to raise awareness of the pedagogical implications of open science and its associated challenges. Because there's, there's several, right? Curricular reform, uh, epistemological uncertainty, methods education, uh, the whole idea of openness and inserting students into to the sphere, this new way of learning, and, and obviously social justice. So I, I think that um, open science uh, has a lot of implications um, when it comes to our the way that we teach students and the way that we think of higher education. Yeah. So I guess, um, so FORT stands for a framework for open and reproducible research training. Um, I guess, so from, from your perspective, Flavio, could you give us the background on like how how thoughts started way back when 
Oh, all right. Um, oh, all right. So let me think about my memory. Just one second. Um, okay, so it started in Zips um, in 2018. It was, I want to say, uh, in a workshop by Heather Hurry and Kirsten Lane. And um, um, I think it was in Grand Rapids. I'm terrible. My memory is, is not super great. On, on yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. All right. And they had a, um, a workshop uh, called Teaching Replicable and Reproducible Science. And uh, there I met um, um, a very, what became a friend. His name is Sam Parsons. And um, we thought about the, the idea of thinking about the consequences or the implications of open and reproducible science to how we educate students, how we think about um, education altogether. And there started uh, Fort, and um, we uh, also had other help. We sat together on a table, and it, it was a beautiful thing. It was like a, a, a it was yeah, <laughs> and. Um, I'm, I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, one of the things that I quite like thinking back to to kind of our early discussions, thinking about kind of teaching open science stuff and early stages of thought is that it's kind of, it's changed an awful lot. And I guess we'll we'll maybe come into the, um, the kind of social justice and kind of advocacy side of thought um, shortly, but... Um, when we started, it was kind of so much about like, could we assess courses for how much uh, open reproducible practices they kind of impart on students? And could that be some kind of cool metric that universities would want? Because if you can rate something, then they always want to be the highest. Um, and so like we we started with the idea of kind of well, what what would we want to be in a course? What would we want them to to kind of include. Um, so may, maybe Flavio, if you could kind of give us an impression from, I guess in, the, in a way from the early days of SIPs, uh, the clusters of thought. Um, yeah, absolutely, Sam. Um, so the idea was that, um, as you so beautifully explained, was to think of if, if open science or uh, open and reproducible science is better science than we thought what are the implications of this to our teaching? And how is it that the teaching of prototype, prototype, I'm sorry, prototypical subject matters, your regular social psychology, cognitive science, et cetera, um, are embedded with these concepts uh, from the onset. So uh, we thought about uh, what are the topics, what are the clusters, how can we organize the knowledge that we produce in these years um, to uh, sort of uh, measure or benchmark how much we improved or what is the status of, of, of our teaching, right? So to what extent are we applying this better science towards the education? So I think that's a good definition. And uh, at a time, and we still have this, it's just a different, um, um, it, 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 it is now a little bit compartmentalized, but it's still an important part of Ford, but we had six clusters and the clusters were 
reproducibility crisis and credibility revolution. So uh, knowledge about uh, the underpinnings of uh, a reproducible and open research. So the integration with field specific content, for example, um, conceptual and statistical knowledge. So thinking of um, everything that, so the, the logic of a null hypothesis testing, Bayesian statistics, likelihood statistics, its effect size, statistical power. So all that that um, uh, in research findings are important to contextualize every research finding for quantitative science, for example. Um, then the other cluster is reproducible analysis. So stress of reproducibility, uh, uh, data wrangling, programming, uh, reproducible analysis. So uh, sprite grin. So everything that is uh, related to, to how to conduct those analysis. Um, the fourth cluster is open in, uh, open data and materials. Um, so enacting why you should have open data and open materials, so knowledge of traditional publication methods, repositories like OSF, uh, accessing and sharing data of authors, ethical considerations, examples and consequences of uh, accessing open data. So for example, social justice is embedded there in a little bit. Uh, then pre-registration and replication research. In pre-registration, we're talking about QRPs, uh, a purpose of pre-registration, of course, uh, uh, how to write them, everything related to it. And replication uh, research is uh, distinguishing conceptual and direct replication. So, so, so running through the publications um, that uh, talk about replication. So we organize this in a way so that we would be able to evaluate the current teaching. And in time, so it's not so much about specific what schools or departments are doing X or Y, but in time we would be able to trace uh, the evolution of how this was such a niche topic to something that is more ingrained and, and, and embedded into the teaching of regular topics. Whoa. Um, so, sorry, you, you go, Amy. I can hear you. <laughs> I feel like you could hear me think over the, over the internet. Um, I felt like I didn't even make a sound. <laughs> um, I, I just, where, where do you see this in kind of two or, or five years? Um, do you want this to be kind of papers looking at how this is developed or is it more of a kind of project that is ongoing and that you add to over time? Like how, how do you see this developing? All right, so Ford is now uh, gearing up. So, so our first step was to write a manuscript about our vision, right? So, um, what is Ford as well, but what are the principles that underlie Ford? Why are we doing this? So we wrote a whole manuscript on the why. And we also laid the groundwork for the for this organization that we call Ford, that people can join in and be cool. Um, <laughs> and uh, so uh, after the manuscript, now we are building the website, which is supposed to be the landing place where everything happens. So now we are um, making specific content for people who want to adopt this educational and mentoring practices. So there's a, a page about adopting for uh, what uh, Ford advocates for uh, our code of content, 
kind of conduct, which is a super important part of organizations nowadays, how you can get involved, what is the mission of Ford, where are we presenting, who are we, policymaking. And then there's one link there as well for this survey that we would conduct, that we would like to conduct um, um, internationally so that we can benchmark um, uh, people's teaching practices and, and sort of trace their history or their a sort of a, a longitudinal study, if you will. But it's it's not supposed to be a study. It will end up being one, but it's it's just the idea that how, because Ford sort of has this idea of incremental implementation of open and reproducible topics. So you don't need to start like, well, oh, this is the gold standard, but every at every iteration of your course, you can start um, uh, adding this or that to, to help your students understand the process of, science production, I guess. And then, um, yeah. So is the idea of the survey that um, you would then also get information that might not be on syllabi? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So teachers would do it. And so would so there are two different types of survey. There's one directed at students and then there's one directed at educators. The educators in doing the survey would also learn a lot about open science in the process of making that survey. And at the end of it, we also link them, uh, give them a sort of a, a feedback and with literature in any case. But um, we hope that that uh, people would be more aware as well of the intricacies and the plurality within the field of open reproducible. So is it like, is this like a go-to page for if I am giving a course and I want to know, like, how can I incorporate open science into this on the first step? Um, kind of, will you give people kind of different options or different ideas? Or is it more of me, myself, track it, as a teacher, tracking kind of how good I am in implementing all these practices in my teaching or as a department? Um on what level does this operate and then? Okay, so uh, this is, um, again, it's it's a collaboration. It's still, everything is, is much um, um, dependable when we're listening to everybody's voices on this. So it's nothing written on stone. With that being said, um, at the moment, we're thinking about something that is not individualized for Amy Orban or anybody else's department, but sort of looking at this uh, more institutionally or thinking of um, just in the process of learning. So not so much benchmarking. That's not the goal. The goal is just having an idea of what are the aspects of your teaching that can be improved upon. How can you improve those aspects um, and how can you integrate uh, this to your teaching? Yeah. So I guess there's a couple of things from Amy's question um, in the way that uh, so this kind of the the survey aspect or the the benchmarking one's own teaching is kind of it's almost a byproduct of thought rather than its main purpose. I think yes. Uh, your kind of initial point, Amy, about like is this supposed to sort of help people put this into teaching? Um, and Flavio kind of mentioned that at the end there. I think that is probably the the bigger. Uh, purpose of thoughts really is to act as this kind of landing page full of uh, the pedagogies and the resources to really support the teachers that are wanting to implement 
this kind of stuff into their teaching because they're the the super time poor overburdened people within academia that are yet kind of in some ways the most powerful and the most responsible for ensuring that the next generation of researchers and citizens really are uh, understanding of all of these issues. So that's really cool. Thank you. If it makes any sense, uh, I think there's two ways of thinking about there's the way to categorize Fort uh, in a way that it has an educational nexus where it will collate uh, a lot of um, uh, materials. Uh, so think of everything that somebody produced. Say somebody very genius produced a very interesting syllabus recently. I'm not sure if you know that, but there was a, a very high prominent scholar who did an amazing syllabus recently. Uh, right, Amy? Wait. I wonder who it is. <laughs> You're making me blush. You're making me awkward now. I thought at the beginning of the podcast, I was I was supposed to make you awkward. I told you. Um, well, thank you. Uh, so that is an amazing educational resource that we aim to collate uh, and make part of our curated list of resources. So that is our selected uh, 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 list of of, of, of of things to start learning about a given topic, whether it's reproducible, re- reproducibility knowledge or pre-registration. So we have uh, two, three um, materials for that that we curate and that we hope to, to explain why that that, uh, um, that literature is important. So a sort of a, a curated list of resources, or if you will, or an annotated list of resources. And then there is the crowdsource uh, within the educational nexus, which is people can come in, contribute their materials they just produced, and those we're uh, we are working hard on making those findable, a sort of a center for pedagogical resources. And, and say you want to learn linear mixed model in R or in Stata or another software, how do I find that? So we are trying to build a platform for that, and that is the educational nexus, right? Um, um, and for example, there we would have um, um, sort of ways that people can learn about uh, open reproducible science. Um, then, um, then that's it. And then there's another part which are um, sort of um, the pedagogies part, where people can talk about great initiatives that are implementing in their own um, faculty, their own institution or faculty. Say, for example, we have a case in Indiana um, uh, where somebody applied for a grant to uh, film or make a movie out of lectures, and that that resource is also available to the students, and it would be a sort of a, a sort of flip learning where students engage with the material before and during the class. And uh, that would increase availability for that learning resource, for example. So uh, the process of this project would be described in these pedagogies, as well as many others. So it's very open so that people, when they want to do something great, that uh, uh, it's opening the materials or uh, increasing accessibility, etc. They have examples. They they have um, a basis to start from. Mm. I have a difficult philosophical question, not a philosophical question, uh, just a question 
or more of a comment. Oh God, I'm getting I'm getting <laughs> old academic here. It's, this is more of a comment. Uh, for I am teaching this course at the moment about open science um, in for for graduates, and it is like an amazing opportunity and it you know while demanding it is great fun um and it's really nice to have the engagement um i asked for feedback kind of halfway through and it's largely been positive there's been a lot of things that i can work on and but something struck me is that kind of not just once but throughout the feedback i there were a couple of students who wrote something along the lines of you know, how can you please tell us how you can, how we can be successful and still integrate all these practices? Because at the moment, you know, you keep on saying the incentives aren't to teach these practices. They aren't there to, to do these practices. And many of the people that teach us have gotten that far because they, they've kind of been good in the old system, um, which hasn't integrated all this kind of open science into it. And I found it quite challenging as an educator um, dealing with that because in a way I am teaching things to my students that will make their life harder. Like you could either say I'm ripping off the plaster early, but yeah, I, I'm, I, for a while I felt really conflicted not in a way that I don't want to teach it but in a way like how do I talk to students about these things which are so difficult and there there's no solution you know except change incentives but yeah it's hard that was my comment (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well let me just say that this was a great comment (laughs) and that completely right um, and I completely understand where you're coming from with this, from your regular teaching as well as presenting for to other people. Um, I, I, we believe uh, that we are not the solution for the problem that you mentioned. As you said, those are um, changes in institutions and how we see science and what is the purpose. And uh, um, we are we will advocate for the improvement of these institutions and that's why we're making partnerships at the institutional level so that for example and those are just two um uh, we are partnering up with uh, open science knowledge database uh to um um, sort of put those materials uh, the materials that we find that are will be easily accessible so at least people will spend less time trying to find good source or high quality materials for their teaching because we are all the time making the different um, uh, teaching different topics and and it's hard to find good materials so at least that we're trying to help and the other partnership is to whenever people are talking about the pedagogies that I told you about so that would become a, an actual academic paper um, uh, that would be hosted by Beta Psychology, which is now the first on the new index. Uh, so it's it's a very prestigious journal um, and um, in transparency and integrity. And um, we are partnering up with Meta Psychology as well as PSA so that um, uh, the work that is put forward in explaining the process to people in doing education initiatives are also rewarded within the current system that um, is not super, um, that are doesn't 
prioritize education. And we have a few other uh, initiatives. One of them is the survey with which we hope to convince um, um, educational organizations. Uh, so for example, think of um, um, influences that the UK Reproducibility Network could uh, make on VPS, uh, right, Sam? Yep, that's uh, one avenue that we're we're exploring. Uh, UKRN, so Marcus Minifo and Chris Chambers have been very supportive of Fort in general, but also kind of trying to think about how we can have, in a way, a wider impact by sort of doing what UKRN's been doing in general and looking at things, I guess, from the top down in a way. So we sort of have the bottom up of awesome teachers doing awesome things with their teaching and also sharing it. Um, and also the the top down kind of promotion and policy and advocacy for this kind of being more widely spread. So waves, going to make some waves. Woo, wavy, woo. <laughs> but that still, I mean, that's, that still doesn't solve Amy's problem, right? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think this is a criticism of Fort in any way, right? Because like... You can't have one project solve everything, but no, 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 I don't the issue remains, right? I, I don't think, in a way, it's kind of intended to solve the the incentives for researchers because it, this is about teaching. Um, yeah, so, so if, if anything, it's very subtly, like indirectly. Yeah, does, but I, I, I guess maybe maybe reframing Amy's question is is a again not not. A, maybe not a critique, but some of the feedback that we've had over the last year or so is kind of, uh, so I would like to teach this, but I don't have time. I'm going to have to learn how to do this. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to need more time to teach this. I'm going to have to sit down and learn some new method or a new software, for example, or something like that. And the time constraints on me to develop these materials from scratch to teach my students is so large that how can I, uh, how can I kind of be expected to make this change? Um, and that's kind of where our thinking came so much towards these kind of pedagogy resources. So like Flavio mentioned about the the special issue with MetaPsych, um, is this idea that like there's loads of slide decks out there, right? There's loads of syllabuses out there. But what if there were resources that had like the maximal amount of information so that as a as a teacher, I don't have to reinvent the re the wheel and completely start from scratch. Um, and kind of maybe there's exercises and assignments that I can use from other people, and that might save me a week of preparing preparing uh, materials. I mean, I don't know about your experience, Amy, with putting together your course, um, but I imagine it would be. Well, actually, I don't know your experience. I, did did you kind of take things from other courses that existed, or? Did you kind of largely work from scratch? I definitely worked off of the other syllabi that are on the OSF kind of open science frameworks, open science syllabi page. Um, and from there kind of took it my, in my, in, you know, in the directions I wanted it to, but it, it did take, you know, a good three weeks and I'm, you know, I have been engaged in this area for quite a long time in a quite intense way. Naturally, I wanted to do the best job I possibly could as well. Um, but yeah, it does take time. I guess 
the question for me is, you know, naturally to teach something well, you do have to know stuff about it. And there won't, that sort of preparation will probably always be necessary to teach a course. But naturally, even for me, having these different syllabi to have a look at, you know, probably saved me two weeks of my life um, just to see, you know, what did people put on their reading list? What topics did people cover? And I kind of collated them all into one mega document and then split them up into the the way I wanted to split it up and the time I had and my, my audience. Um, and I think that plus I also took, uh, I looked at a lot of people's slides on the OSF, you know, people I knew who were expert on pre-registration. I then looked on their pre-registration slides and, and I worked off of those as well. Um, so it was definitely a collaborative effort, even though it was just me sitting in my, in my office at home. Um, so I do think if we can centralize that a bit more and you don't have to know exactly, you know, who is good about open access and to look at their slides, but it's in one place that can be very helpful. But naturally, I think we will always have to prepare and keeping things up to date, especially in such a fast moving world as open science will always be a challenge. Those are my two cents. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, absolutely, you need to prepare, and uh, it needs to be updated. So, w one of the ways we're thinking about uh, this is to have um, um, uh, tags to be found, so a, a given resource to be found, as well as as the date in which that was provided. Um, so, to think about adaptability and also keeping contact with the producer of that material so that it gets updated. So that we're trying to implement that as well. I'm not sure whether it will be feasible, but I know that also the uh, Center for Open Science Knowledge Base is working exactly on making the adaptability streamlined for researchers. Yeah, and I think that sounds like it. You know, this the problem of updating is is you know an intractable issue. Um, but I think if you motivate that, plus, what if you, for example, like myself, built work off other people's? I my hope is that people will build stuff off of my work, and so I keep it updated. Um, you know, the, the syllabus on my website is updated kind of every time I update it. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, and, and and likewise, kind of, I mean, not not only can the materials be dynamic themselves, but if, I think part of our thinking is that if, if you use someone else's teaching materials and you adapt them and then develop something else, then we, we can create a culture in which we, we think about that in the same way as we think about kind of reusing and adapting ideas and findings from other people's research papers. So you, in the same way as that, you you build on the shoulders of giants and you you cite them and you sort of discuss them and give all the credit. And that can be the kind of the the bright future, or I think as we described it in the in the preprint, kind of the, the fourth pillar of the scientific utopia is kind of a place where teaching is so valued that we we allow it the same the same kind of prestige and um, kind of forefront of the academic activity um, as we do research papers. So we, we cite it, we share it, we, we applaud people that put out great teaching materials. I think that's, that's kind of a, I guess, a long-term aspiration. Mm. Um, Flavio, um, 
I guess we're we're slowly running out of time, but um, do you have any kind of last thoughts on Fort as a project or any information for our listeners on where they should go and how they can join? That's a great question, Sam. Thank you. So... Uh... <laughs> This was like when you have a when I used to be in an un, a, an undergrad and we had class presentations and you would make your like best friend ask really easy questions. <laughs> You'd be like, "Oh, thanks for that question." <laughs> that is Anyways, precisely what ahead. happened. <laughs> um, uh, so um, yes, so we have a website uh, uh, that you can um, look it up and also a Twitter account. Um, uh, it's basically fort.netlify.com, but find our Twitter and there you can find our website as well. You can also email us, but basically, uh, we have a, a, a Slack channel that we have a vibrant community, uh, which we're talking about several aspects of, um, of, of Fort and education in general. Um, you can also join our team. We are an open contributorship, so um, you can help us build a, a second version of the website, which looks super cool. So it's not the, the it, it's looking cool. Uh, that's all uh, I'm gonna say. It, it, that we we're going full blown with the website as a, a landing platform for people to inform themselves about better teaching. Uh, so you can that's on open on GitHub, and people can contribute content and they. There's some guidelines there as well. They also can become a partner. So think of institutions that want to uh, develop cert certain things with us. You can email us at fortproject at gmail.com. Um, and uh, yeah, and we have a, a page. We're building a page on how to get uh, in contact with us, uh, how to get involved. I'm sorry, not in contact. Um, and last but not least, uh, if, um, for example, just uh, just throwing out there like two easy ways uh, to to, to uh, uh, adopt Fort. So just to, the, the the easiest ways is to make your existing teaching materials in whatever topic and in whatever language available. So the moment that you make those uh, resources more open and transparent to people that people can reuse it and repurpose to their own environment and, and uh, conditions. I think that that you're um, uh, basically um, fulfilling one of Ford's principles. And you can also make your research and um, your research material past and current available. So making your research open, it can also be um, considered to be uh, uh, as adopting Ford in a way. Um, Think of projects like uh, the CRAP project, supposed to say GRAPE, uh, it's the Collaborative Replications and Education Project, as well as the Political Science Replication Initiative. There's also a, a counterpart in economics. So all of these initiatives use open materials to teach their student about replication and, and, and open and reproducible science. So by doing these two things that we all should be doing anyways, we are already becoming better educators. And can I then call myself Sir Amy or Knight Sam? <laughs> I think you would be called Dame Amy. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I would. It, it, it sounds, I always, I I had this conversation the other day that it doesn't sound as great as kind of Sir Lancelot, but I'll have to live with that um, for now. But that that's really great. <laughs> I'm very happy Sam invited you on. <laughs> Thank you so much.
Um, and I would, uh, uh, based on the syllables alone, not your awesome, amazing research, I would say that you have been knighted already. Woo! <laughs> but you still have to tell us about the cat. Oh, that's what right. cat. <laughs> so I've been told um, by very reliable sources um, that we need to ask Flavio about his famous cat. That is correct. I have a, fam a relative, well, a locally famous cat. Yes. Um, well, you, know, you have to tell us. <laughs> what did it do? Okay. <laughs> so so he, he, well, I don't think he was the actor in the story, but you will get it uh, in a second. So I have a very friendly cat called Bento. Bento is, a, well, he thinks he's a person, um, but um, his behavior as a pet would be more comparable to a dog. And he is very friendly and he likes to go with everybody. And we lived in this city called Aachen in Germany and that um, um, German buildings are all facing towards each other, like they are gardens. So uh, my cat could go jump from garden to garden to go visit, literally, that's what he, all he did throughout his first two years is to literally go to each one's house and get their food and, and eat, get treaties and get pet. And uh, there's people sending us photos. It's a whole thing. Um, so it was a very popular cat um, in our neighborhood. And we would meet people on the street and they would talk to us. Anyways, it's a great, it, yeah, we were very happy. But The apple not falling far from the tree. Uh, I mean, not that you're related, obviously, because it's a cat, but... He's my son. So he is your uh, son, yes, exactly. Yes, so absolutely. Um, uh, and uh, what happened uh, was that somebody... Um, so he... Well, funny context. Um, so he had a GPS because I am our worried father. So he had a collar with a GPS that updated every, I don't know, five seconds, and I could get his location. And what I would often do whenever he had to come home is whistle, and I would whistle to him, and he would come. So he was a very trained cat. Anyways, um, um, what happened was that one of the things that Bento liked to do is to sleep over a specific car, which was a Mercedes Class A, black. And in doing so, um, he would step on the hood of the car and leave small white marks of dirt because you know, you know gardens and what uh, happened is that he uh, the owner of this car uh, got kidnapped uh, he kidnapped my cat and he put bento inside his car and drove off about 20 kilometers or 30 kilometers i don't recall and left bento in a forest a hunting forest filled with eagles and wild animals so that's the set story that, that, that's a, the sad part of the story and oh my god yeah it was it was rough and we only know this because of the gps so the gps um has a warning system that if he leaves the what we call safe zone which was demarcated to be our just like if he ever touched the street because it was a closed thing uh um and um so that started beeping and they called me and I started looking at Bento moving like a car through roads and everything, uh, moving away from us. And what we thought was that he had jumped in a truck, 
um, or something like that um, that would lead. We never thought somebody would kidnap a cat. Like, who does that? Um, anyway, so we followed. We I, I don't have a car, uh, so I jumped on a taxi and we followed Bento. Um, and we um, followed Bento and, and, and we ended up in this coffee place where uh, the, 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 the last uh, part of the chip got, um, um, with the last moment, he beeped a location, right? And uh, it was a bar, so it was in the middle of nowhere. So we know it was somewhere because uh, at least that the GPS was there. And we asked if there was any beer truck or anything like that. And we talked to everybody because it was a bar in the middle of nowhere, uh, right? So the only explanation is our cat is here or the GPS is here. And anyway, so um, we moved forward and we didn't find a cat and we thought, okay, he, there was a truck and he jumped here and we thought that the cat was there. And what happened was that um, we looked for the cat for about, because the battery obviously went off, um, um, discharged after eight hours or 10 hours. And then we just looked, we looked on that location, which was in the middle of the champ, how do you say that? Like the, the fields, like it was a very rural area. And we spent uh, the next 17 days uh, trying to find a cat. But prior to that, it was Christmas, it was December. Um, uh, without getting ahead of myself, somebody calls me on Christmas Eve saying uh, we also in the 17 days we we, we considered the idea that the gps got detached from his neck so he could be all the way through through the path of 20 kilometers so we um put um a lot of um um how do you call sheets on the on the on the street with cat's picture our phone number etc um and um so we covered a lot of area so Bento was starting to be known and he became a celebrity because uh, the television got interested, the German television and also the uh, journals uh, like uh, The Bild or others. And Leticia, my, my wife, uh, took pictures, uh, showed pictures, gave interviews, and it was in, even in a morning show to talk about that, oh, my cat was kidnapped. So if you Google Kater Bento, uh, you will find uh, some press on, on 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 that. And what happened is that on, so on, on Christmas Eve, somebody called and said, "I'm so sorry. I, I'm feeling guilty about this. I know who took your cat." And it was, it was the first time we thought we, we well we knew we were told that Bento was actually kidnapped. Uh, and he told the story of this guy who owns this car uh, and. Um, and that he took the cat and boasted about it in their gathering. So there are cyclists in the area of Aachen. And he, one day he boasted, he said, I did it. I hated that cat, et cetera. And I left him in the forest. So he didn't give any precise location, but this guy felt the need to tell me. And that's when we called the police, et cetera. Uh, and uh, a few days later, uh, we started looking in other places for Bento. Uh, with a lot of whistling, etc., and uh, what we did was uh, whatever we did, or by coincidence, nobody knows. Um, uh, uh, Bento was found, and then um, we found the, him. He was very thin. He was very sick, but we did find him, 
and uh, he's with us today, and there's a good story, and the bad guy of the story got fined by the German um, judicial system. There was a police uh, case, and somebody had to testify in his judge in, in, in the proceedings, and, uh, you know, the outcome is that, uh, the bad outcome is that uh, Bento never leaves the house <laughs> anymore, uh, so oh. he's very needy. Um, but the good outcome is that we found him and we're with him and we're forever grateful to have, to be in his presence because he's a truly unique cat. And, um, and, and at, at least it's a case where justice got served and the outcome is positive. Oh God, this is such a, uh, wow. What a story. Well, I mean, I need to meet Bento now, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. How much, how much, how much did the guy get fined? I, I think it was 500 because German law says something that... What? Not more? No, well, yeah, I, 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 I sympathize with your desires for more. I truly do. Not only money, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, um, yeah, so no, it, it, because it has to do with the law that cats are objects. So it classifies as petty uh theft something like this mm. i would like to see sam's face right now but because <laughs> i'm shocked and i really i don't even like cats that much <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's good it's really nice that there's a good ending i think yeah that's the main thing um so flavio i think we're we're just about out of time it's been great to talk to you but i think the final thing that we always like to uh, I guess, finish up on is to ask our guests if you have any advice or wisdom that you would like to impart on our early career uh, listeners. i joined for it. This great reality um, and um, be a part of the change. I think that's, that's good. Even if you join other uh, initiatives, like Disability or any other organization like the Open and um, MOOC, for example, or OSKB, um, whatever you do, um, um, be active, um, make sure that you participate in this amazing process of this rediscovery of, of science, I think, that we're going through that I'm very glad to be a part of. Awesome. Um, And to our listeners, if you have any suggestions for awesome or any other awesome early career researchers that you would like to uh, hear from or have featured on the uh, podcast, let us know. Our DMs are open and all that stuff. If you want to start a podcast, um, journal club email Amy just everyone email Amy also <laughs> <laughs> if you want to start a podcast email me because I just, need to give all permission <laughs> no don't email Amy, me just, just in general email yeah. Amy <laughs> yeah you, I've, feel free to email me um, I get quite you know I'm pretty good actually at still answering my emails so you know get in while it lasts um but yeah, no. well, thanks, Flavio, for having, like, I am stunned. Um, and yeah, I cannot wait to see how Fort develops in future. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, really a great opportunity. And uh, it's great what you guys are doing. 
Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Lauren. Bye. 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 Bye.